Our scripture reading today is taken from Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. I'll give you a chance if you want to open up. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat or in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, be glorified. I thank you, Lord, for a bright morning, just beautiful creation that surrounds us. I thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, that we can have life in his name. And Lord, I lift up this time. May your spirit be at work in each of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, these past five weeks... We've been going through a series called Seven Tenets of Vibrant Christianity. And the basic idea is that these are seven ideas that draw the line between Christians who really take their faith seriously and those that look just like their neighbors. Not to say that we found it, what it means to be a Christian, but these are just seven ways that we can kind of jump in and dig into that passionate life of Jesus. We're going back to the basics And we started five weeks ago. We started off with God is. And then the Bible is our trustworthy authority. Three weeks ago we shared that we are responsible to share our faith. Then that Jesus is our perfect savior. Last week, Pastor Don talked about how Satan is real. And today, I have a tall order. My subject is that moral absolute truth exists. Now, to start off, I want to tell you a story about myself. When I was eight years old, I got into my first and only playground fight. I was a scrawny little kid, so it didn't last long. But what happened is that we were on the playground, it was recess, and we were playing dodgeball. And the bully, if I could call him that decided that he wanted the ball, and my best friend had the ball. So he jumps at my best friend and tries to wrestle the ball from his hands. And I guess at the age of eight, I had a strong sense of justice, and jumped on the bully and pulled him off of my friend. We got into an argument, calling each other names, and then it went to blows, and it didn't last very long. Later on, I remember my parents telling me, Christopher, you need to stop concerning yourselves and things that don't concern you. I guess my parents saw this as a fault. And as a child, I guess I was getting involved in the problems of others. I don't know. I guess I had a strong sense of justice. You see, we are all moral beings. It is inherent in who we are, how we interact with each other, and how we see the world. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the book of Genesis. Genesis 2, 16 through 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, 
But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And not to say that eating from the tree and achieving the knowledge of good and evil was wrong, but the act of disobedience that Adam and Eve did was. But from then on, humanity, you and I, we have the ability to see and understand and have knowledge of both good and evil. To feel the joy and the pain that comes from that. We see the world as good and bad, and act and believe that there is a way that things should be. We act and believe that there is a moral standard outside of ourselves. We do this at school, in the classroom, at recess. We think that children shouldn't fight, or that we shouldn't cheat on our tests, or that we should treat our classmates or teachers with respect. We do this at work. We should be on time. We should do the requirements of the job. We should treat our co-workers and customers with respect. We do this on the road. We should stop at stoplights, and we should put our blinker on while changing lanes. Especially those that do it in front of us should put their blinkers on while changing lanes. And we experience road rage when we see that those standards are not being met. You see, today in our culture, there's a lot of confusion about right and wrong. Moral relativism has been a growing and dominant force in our culture since the 1960s. So what is moral relativism? It is the idea that right and wrong is decided by the community or the individual. It is dependent upon one's own feelings and not on an absolute moral standard. And as we are caught between the claims that morals are absolute and outside of us, or relative and inside of us, we ask, which is true? What is truth? Well, when talking about truth, there are two different types of statements that you can make. And for this, I'm going to need a little participation. I'm going to need your guys' help. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a statement, and I'll make it. Butter pecan ice cream is delicious. Now, if you believe that's true, please raise your hand. Butter pecan ice cream is delicious. All right, you can put your hands down. Please raise your hand if you think that's false. Butter pecan ice cream is delicious. All right? So some of you think this is true, and some of you think that this is false. And we're okay with that. I mean, how can this statement be both true and false at the same time? (laughs) Thank you, Rex. This is a subjective statement. The statement is not about butter pecan ice cream, the object. It's about the subject and my preference and what I like. It is a subjective statement. Now, if I were to say that butter pecan ice cream is a cure for diabetes, (laughs) if you think that's true, please raise your hand. All right, if you think that is false, 
All right. But what if I really said, you know, I, I believe, I honestly believe, butter pecan ice cream is a cure for diabetes. Well, we would have a discussion. We would lay the facts out. And then we would come to a conclusion accordingly. You see, this statement is an objective statement. It's a false one. But it's an objective statement. That it's not about the subject, it's about the object. You see, subjective claims are neither true nor false. But objective claims about the object are either true or false. With the rise of moral relativism today, people relate to right and wrong in an ice cream sort of way. Well, you have your flavor, and I have mine. And you're telling me that my flavor is wrong? What? All right. For our next bit, I asked someone to help me. Ben, if you could stand up. And what I want you to do is I want to take that chair. Thank you. I want you to set it down. And I want you to stand either next to it or behind it. All right. And I want you to close your eyes. And while closing your eyes, keep them closed, I want you to take five steps to your left. All right. Now I want you to take five steps back. Thank you. All right, kind of reach around a little bit, maybe behind you. There we go, there we go. All right, you're good. All right. Now, stand also next to it again, or behind it, whatever. Close your eyes and pick up the chair. Eyes closed. And take five steps to your left. All right. Thank you. You may put the chair down. Thank you, Ben. You see, when we carry our point of orientation with us, we are lost. We are moral beings. And this is confirmed when we turn on the news. It hurts us to watch. We tell ourselves that there is a way that things should be, and this isn't it. If you guys were watching the news on Friday, you saw some horrendous events in Paris. 129 people were killed. 352 people were injured. Assailants targeted six sites, including a concert hall, two restaurants, a bar, and outside a soccer stadium. The headlines were filled with words like massacre and hostages and suicide bombings. CNN said, these attacks have shaken the conscience of the world. President Obama called the assaults an attack on all humanity and the universal values we all share. It's interesting that the world has come together and agreed that these acts are evil and wrong. Now, to be sure... They are evil and wrong. But for something to be universal and objectively wrong, there must be something that is universal and objectively right. 
You see, God created each of us to be in a relationship with him and with each other. And to Moses and the nation of Israel, he gave the Ten Commandments in absolute moral law as guidelines how to be in a right relationship with God and with each other. And the Ten Commandments, you probably know them, are you shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is on earth below. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, fill in the blank, or anything that is your neighbor's. And it's interesting, when we think of laws, the Ten Commandments has been called the law. As Americans, we think of laws as barriers, something that restrains our freedom. We call America the land of the free. And during the Revolutionary War, Americans won freedom from the tyranny of the English at the time. It's part of our DNA. You see it all over advertisements. Freedom. But we think of freedom as freedom from something. Well, the nation of Israel saw laws in a different way. They saw laws as a manner of living, a path of life. They saw that the law empowered them to find wholeness and completeness in their inner beings and their relationships with God and with others. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 that we read earlier said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And I love this metaphor, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither In all that he does, he prospers. Psalm 86.11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. But when we look at the history of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, we see how they messed up time and again. They could not meet the standards of the law. And God is holy and demands absolute perfection for us to be in relationship with him. To break one of these laws is to break them all. And punishment for breaking the law is death. Breaking the law, missing the mark of perfection is called sin. And this separates us from a righteous and holy God. But knowing our dilemma, knowing our plight, God enacted a plan. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son Jesus to earth to show us the way. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them in the truth, says Jesus. Your word is truth. And lastly, John eight thirty one through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Moral absolute truth exists, and his name is Jesus. Jesus came from the Father to show us the way to the Father, a way of truth that would bring life. He taught us to love God and to love others. And he took the sins of the world, of you and I, upon himself. And he paid the ultimate price that we might have life in his name. And after three days, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell, that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus has power and authority over you, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This good news is for you if this is your first time here or if you've been here for 20 years. Maybe God is inviting you into a relationship with him by placing your trust in Jesus. Or maybe you have sin in your life. You have broken God's law and he's inviting you to repent, to tattle on yourself, to declare that what you did was wrong and that you don't want to be that way any longer. God is inviting you to confess your sins to him. And as we come to our final song, I would like to invite you to come forward to share your decision. Some of the pastors will be standing up here, and we would love to pray with you. But remember, Jesus is not ice cream. He's insulin. Thank you.